0: Please be seated. Well, several weeks ago, we began a journey with through the life of Abraham. And we looked at his call in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls him from Mesopotamia and the Ur of the Chaldeans and says, I want you to leave your family and I want you to go to the country that I tell you. In other words, just keep moving till I tell you to stop. And when we get there, I'll let you know that we're there. Then a famine comes up, and Abraham and Sarah go down to to Egypt, and then they come back to uh, the promised land that's going to eventually be the promised land, the land of Canaan. And uh, he and Lot, his nephew, have to separate because there wasn't enough resources in the same place for both of them. And eventually Abraham has to rescue Lot because Lot is taken captive. And then we have the whole... Story of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of that. And then we have these three visitors a few weeks ago that came and, and told Sarah that uh, she, or told Abraham that by this time next year, Sarah was going to have a child. Well, I guess we kind of got to back up. At, all along this way, during this journey, God had been making promises over and over again to Abraham. He promised him that his descendants would be numerous and that he was going to make him into a great nation. And there was a problem with that. And that is Sarah was barren and couldn't have any children. And when this story begins, she was already getting up in age. And then he tells him that all the nations of the world were going to be blessed through his descendants. Well, again, we got the same problem. And then he keeps telling Abraham that his descendants were going to, one of these days, inherit the land that he is now a sojourner in. Well, again, we got the same problem. You don't have any descendants yet. And so we we had that little story in the middle where where Abraham and Sarah decide they're going to take things into their own hands. And Sarah says to Abraham, you take my maidservant Hagar. And you sleep with her and you have a child by her and we'll just pretend it's ours. And we'll make a, a name for ourselves through the child that Hagar bears. And so sure enough, Hagar gets pregnant and she has a child named Ishmael. And then God comes along and says, No, that's not what I had in mind. I said, you and Sarah are going to have a child. When we get to this part of the story now, it is 25 years later. Have you ever looked forward to something? Anticipated it? Were so excited? So eager about it? And then when it happened... It was kind of a letdown. It just didn't live up to the expectations. It didn't live up to the hype. It didn't live up to, you know, I've done that several times with movies. I can't even remember what the last movie was, but I remember, oh, I know what it was. It was Dunkirk. Any of y'all see Dunkirk, the movie? Don't waste your money. But it was, if you remember, it was big, it was hyped up big. It was supposed to be this great movie, this historical movie, and all this stuff, and you know how I am about war movies and all of that. And I was so excited to go see this movie because of all the buildup and all the advertising and everything. And I went and when I got through, I was like, that was that was just bad. It just it just really wasn't even good, I didn't think. But then have you anticipated something? And the reality far exceeded your expectations. For 25 years, God has been promising Sarah, you're going to have a child. A year ago, these visitors come and say, by this time next year, Sarah is going to have a child. And so now we get to the part of the story Genesis chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as He had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Now, we don't have that here, but by deduction, because elsewhere we have their age. There's a 10-year age difference between Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham was a hundred years old. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. In verse 6, now look at this. I love this. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Did you kind of get the idea that the reality far exceeded the expectation even for Sarah? But then we got a little problem because of the problem we had before. The angel grew, the angel, where did I get angel from? Angel's nowhere in there. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a, great, into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and the skin of water and gave them to Hagar and he, sent them on her, he set them on her shoulders. "...and then set her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, "'What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid.' God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So Forget the Hagar and Ishmael part for a moment. Let's go back to the Sarah part. I was thinking about this. I had never thought about this before. In all the times I've studied this and preached on it and taught on it and all this, you know, we often, we often get caught up in the fact that Sarah was 90 years old when she had the child. Wow. What a miracle, Right waiting 25 years, barren all her life. And now at 90 years old, she has a child. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because the grandkids were here this weekend. I don't know what it was. But it all of a sudden dawned on me, she didn't just have a child when she was 90. She was a mother of an infant when she was 90. That in and of itself, that she survived that, was miraculous. Can you imagine? I don't know, I I'm, I'm not want to go out on a limb here, but I'm not sure we have any 90-year-old women. I won't ask you to raise your hand. But we got some, some not quite 90-year-old women. Can you imagine being the mother of an infant? But Sarah was the mother of an infant. I wonder if they had a baby shower. I wonder if they had baby showers back then. And I wonder what you get Sarah for a baby shower. You know, we, uh, these baby showers that we have now, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, Uh, of course we have, first of all, we have the the disposable diapers. Wow. Isn't that great? Not that it mattered to me, but it was great for Kenya. Then we had disposable diapers, Uh, you know, and all these, these apparatus things. I mean, strollers are like as big as cars. You know, I think that there's some cars that are smaller than some of these strollers that you can get now and all these different things. Back then, they didn't have any of that. I don't know, you know. What? You got Sarah for a baby shower. But just imagine the, the, what Sarah had gone through the last nine months. Some of you have lost children in pregnancy. And you know how devastating that that is. And you know that if you've ever gone through that and then you become pregnant again, how worried you are, how nervous you are, maybe not even telling people till it reaches a certain stage that you're pregnant. Surely that had to be going through Sarah's mind at 90 years old. You know, third month. 5th month, 6th month, 7th month, 8th month. Now, with our hospitals and our, you know, technology today, you know, that's not a problem. But back then, it would have been a problem. And yet, she made it to term and she had Isaac. So, I wanted to look at some lessons from Isaac's birth this evening. First of all, we understand that God fulfills his promises. Wow. Wow. It took a while, didn't it? You know, we've been doing this, if my calculation is correct. This is our, this is our eighth lesson on Abraham, which would be approximately, I'm a mathematician, approximately two months. Two months. And some of you are thinking it took us, I didn't think we'd ever get Isaac born. It took us forever. Two months. 25 years since God first made the promise to Abraham that his descendants would become a great nation, that he would have descendants, that he would have a son. Sometimes we just don't understand God's timetable. We don't understand why God doesn't give us what we want when we want it. But we, like Abraham and Sarah, we've got to learn to trust God. And trust God's timetable. When God makes a promise, it is going to be fulfilled. We don't have to worry about that. Now, it may not be fulfilled when we think it ought to be. Think of again, you know, about, about the promises that God had made to Abraham. It took 25 years just for Isaac to be born. It would take another 600 or so years of of, you know, Jacob and his sons and down in Egypt and them all multiplying while they're down in Egypt before they actually become a great nation. Another couple of years before the people actually take the land that God had promised to them. And then a thousand or so years before the fulfillment of the promise that all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophets are prophesying about the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah. And Galatians tells us when it was the right time. When God decided it was the right time. On His timetable, Jesus was born. He's made a promise to us that He's coming back. That He's coming back to take us to be with Him. If you think 25 years was a long time, it's been a little over 2,000 since Jesus made that promise. And we may be thinking to ourselves, why hasn't God made good on that promise yet? Why hasn't he come back? Why? What is, what is he waiting for? Well, he's got a reason. I may not understand it. I may not know what it is. Part of it, we do know, because the Bible tells us he's waiting so that more people can be saved. That's what he's waiting for. But it's his timetable and not ours. God fulfills his promise always. Secondly, God rewards patience. Abraham and Sarah had to have their doubts along the way. We saw their doubts. We saw them try to take things into their own hands. When the three visitors told Abraham that Sarah was going to have a child, what did Sarah do? She laughed. She laughed. She you know, she might have believed it 25 years ago. She might have believed it 15 years ago. She might have believed it 10 years ago. But at 89, she said, that's the craziest thing I ever heard of. And she laughed. But they had faith in God. Even though Abraham and Sarah struggled along the way, they still had faith in God. And, God, and they had to learn patience, patience, God is patient and wants us to be patient as well. He knows what we need and when we need it, too much at the wrong time is not good for us. Thirdly, we see that God's power is revealed. Some of us may have thought, along with Sarah and Abraham, look, yeah, we took matters into our own hand." Yeah, God, that may not have been the way you planned it, but look, we got Ishmael, okay? Right or wrong, here's Ishmael. Can't we just do all the things that you're promising through Ishmael? And God says, no, that's not going to work. And one of the reasons, I think, that that wasn't going to work is because God wanted to make sure that both Abraham and Sarah knew that it was God's power. That brought about this miracle. If it was just Ishmael. Even though Abraham was kind of old. He'd go. Ah, well you know. Fluke of nature. Those things kind of happen. But now when Abraham's 99. And Sarah's 89. There is no doubt. That this happened. Because it was a miracle. From God. The same way I think. That God told the Israelites. As they first go into Canaan. And they're getting ready. For their first big battle. And it's Jericho. And he doesn't tell them to storm the city. He doesn't tell them to do this or do that. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to march around the city of Jericho once on the first day. And then go back to camp. And then on the second day, march around once again and go back to camp. And I want you to do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around Jericho seven times. And then the walls came tumbling down. I don't think there was any doubt in the Israelites' mind that that was God's power being revealed. I don't think, although, you know, considering the Israelites, you never know, I don't know that any of them said, Wow, aren't we just brilliant? You know, we marched around that city and we loosened the earth and the foundation gave way and the, you know, it's so, so, we're so smart that we figured that out and, and, no. And then remember, we've talked about Gideon. When he had 32,000 soldiers and God said, nope, way too many. Because I don't want you to think you did this on your own. I want to make sure you know that it was God's power. He demonstrated it with Joshua and with Gideon. He also demonstrated it, I believe, with Naaman. Remember Naaman, the Syrian soldier that, that, that had leprosy? And he went and went to the prophet and the prophet didn't even come to the door. Sent his servant, said, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And the Naaman got so mad he was going to storm back home to Syria. And his servant said, sir, with all due respect, if he'd have told you to do something great, you'd have done it. He'd have told you to go defeat some city or, or you know, do, build some huge monument or something like that. If he'd have told you to do something like that, you'd have done it. Why not go dip in the river seven times? What could it hurt? That's not what he said, but I think that was kind of in there between the lines. And so Naaman did. Why didn't God tell Naaman to go defeat some big city? Why didn't God tell Naaman to go erect some great big monument or do something grand? Because he wanted to make sure that Naaman knew that it was God's power and not his that healed him of his leprosy. We must realize that we have access to that power, but that it's God's power and not us. God has given us a spirit of power, not a timidity. I think maybe Mark, you preached on that maybe when I was gone one time. I heard that. Somebody told me that. Somebody was listening. All right. Fourth thing, God accomplishes his, pers- his purpose. The redemption of the world. There's a little, kind of a little correlation between the birth of Isaac and the birth of Jesus. But the redemption of the world rested on the birth of this baby boy. All of God's plans, all that God intended to do from Isaac to Jacob to his 12 sons to creating a a nation to eventually through that nation bringing about the Messiah. All of that started because of this one baby boy being born. God accomplishes His purpose. God has a purpose. We talked about this this morning. For each one of us, God has a purpose for you. You are important to God. And God always seems to use seemingly unimportant people to carry out his work. Moses was an important person at one time. right? He was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But when he was called to do God's work, he was just a shepherd hiding off over there, minding his own business, not wanting to be bothered, and yet God used him. Gideon as well. Mary. Fisherman and a little boy and his lunch to feed 5,000. We need to open our eyes to all the opportunities that God wants to use you for and me for for his life. So I wanted to move a little bit to a little different thing and I wanted to think about ways that we are like Isaac. What are some ways we are like Isaac? Well, first of all, we bring joy to God. You can just hear that. You know, when when... Sarah laughed the first time when the three visitors said that by this time next year, Sarah was going to have a child and she laughed. That was a laugh of disbelief. That was a laugh of, you know, no way. But now it says after Isaac is born that God has filled her with laughter. This is a laughter of joy because of what God has accomplished. God rejoices, is happy for us. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells those three parables. Remember that? He tells the parable about the lost sheep, about how the shepherd would leave the ninety and nine, and he would go off and get to find the one lost sheep, and when he came back, he'd have a party to celebrate that he found the one sheep that had gone astray. I often wondered if he served mutton at the (laughs) At the feast, you know, <laughs> sacrifice one for the other. But anyway, he had a, you know, he had a feast. Celebrated. The widow that lost one of her ten coins and found it, she shared her joy with people. And then the son, the prodigal son, when he comes back, the father rejoices, and throws a banquet in his son's honor. You ever thought about the fact that God? Rejoices in us. God is happy for us that we bring God joy when we turn to Him and follow Him. Secondly, just like Isaac, we are born miraculously. Now, there's no doubt that this was a miraculous birth, right? You know, a hundred and or ninety nine and eighty nine when she becomes pregnant. Our second birth is miraculous as well. You remember in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is like, huh? Born again? Now we're used to that concept, right? We understand born again. It's the first time Nicodemus ever heard anything like that. Born again? What is it possible to enter a second time into your mother's womb and be born again, Nicodemus asked? And some people read that as kind of Nicodemus being a little smart aleck. I don't think so. I think Nicodemus had a legitimate question. What do you mean born again? How is that even possible? And Jesus said, unless you are born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Our second birth is miraculous. Our second birth is from the grace of God. Just like the birth of Isaac was by God's grace, our second birth is by God's grace as well. So we have a miraculous birth. Thirdly, we are weaned. It was interesting. I was teaching the uh, junior high, high school class a while back, and I don't remember whether it was this or something else. And we uh, uh, got to something, and it talked about being weaned. And some of you parents need to teach your kids a few things. They didn't have a clue to what that meant. Then when I started telling them, they wished they hadn't asked. (laughs) A little more information than they wanted. Now, we understand and we know that probably in the day of Sarah... That weaning would have taken much, would have happened much later than what we are more used to, since they, there was no gerbers, you know, or, or whatever back then. So you fed as long as you could. So he was probably a little older than what we think of. But at some point in time, you get off the milk and you begin to eat solid food. In Hebrews chapter 5 the writer of Hebrews kind of scolds his readers he said I got some things I'd like to tell you but you can't handle it yet I've got some solid food I've got some solid meat that I would like to share with you but you still need milk you haven't progressed you haven't matured we need to mature as Christians we need to learn more and study more and become closer to God fourthly Like Isaac, we are, we experience persecution. You know, I don't know what it was that Ishmael was doing. Ishmael's what? About 12 years older, I think, than Isaac. You know, so he's, 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 so let's say, let's say that the weaning was at four, give or take. So Isaac's four, and so Ishmael's 16. I don't know what kind of, you know, Whatever he was doing, but apparently he was making fun of his little brother. And Sarah didn't like it one little bit. Well, we've already seen in 1 Peter on Sunday morning. We're going to see you a little later. We are going to be persecuted in this life. As Christians, there are going to be times when the world is against us. That's why Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. He wouldn't have said that if it wasn't going to happen. Jesus said the world will be against you. And fifthly, we are born rich and free. Right, wrong, indifferent, or whatever. Ishmael was not the son of promise. Ishmael was not going to share in the inheritance of Abraham. Now God was going to take care of Ishmael. But it was not going to be by Abraham's inheritance because Isaac was going to get everything. And just as Isaac got everything from his father, we've been promised everything from our father. we looked in 1 Peter where it talks about our eternal inheritance. That we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That Doesn't that... That ought to blow your mind a little bit. It blows my mind. Not a quarter heir. Not a partial heir. But joint heirs with Jesus himself. So when we look at the birth of Isaac, and this is a very important chapter. Of course, we're going to get to the next. We know what happens in the next chapter. Things kind of get a little hairy there for a little while. But for 25 years, Abraham and Sarah had been waiting. And God fulfills His promise. And we, like Isaac, are heirs because of what our Father has promised to give to us. If you're here this evening, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.